Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Invisibility Today podcast. I'm your tiny disabled host, Laura Elliott. Every month, I'll be bringing you the latest news and interviews on disability issues, clearing up some common misconceptions about disability and chronic illness, and championing the work of disabled activists and creators from around the world. This month, I'll be speaking to Shona, a 20-year-old disability blogger and activist from the UK, about having to fundraise for her power chair, raising awareness of the connective tissue disorder Marfan syndrome, and how the anti-plastics environmental lobby is leaving disabled people out of the conversation. But first, a roundup of what's been happening in visibility in February. In the US, disability rights under the Trump administration have come under further attack, following the passage of the HR 620 bill through the House of Representatives, which seeks to limit the scope of the Americans with Disabilities Act. The ADA is a landmark piece of bipartisan legislation that affirms and protects the civil rights of disabled people, but HR 620 would limit the right to sue public buildings that don't comply with accessibility requirements. Its supporters argue that this will prevent unreasonable lawsuits, but campaigners are warning that even though the ADA has been law for nearly 30 years, many public spaces are still off-limits to disabled people, and limiting the right to sue for equal access will severely undermine civil liberties. In the UK, I'm sorry to say, things aren't much better, as a groundbreaking new study has revealed that more than a million benefit sanctions have been imposed on disabled people since 2010. A growing culture of disbelief among job centre staff is being blamed for the discrimination, which has led to disabled claimants in receipt of job seekers' allowance being 26 to 53% more likely to be sanctioned than claimants without a disability. Across the Channel in Europe, progress towards equality is slowly being made, as France announces new legislation that will give all people with disabilities the right to vote. Currently, Article 5 of France's Electoral Code allows a judge to deprive adults of their voting rights if they have a guardian to make legal decisions for them. Under the new plans, this rule will be scrapped, and an estimated 65,000 people will be given the right to vote for the first time. And I think I speak for disabled people everywhere when I say it's about bloody time. In lighter arts and entertainment news, the UKID Festival is returning this year with a special programme promoting the work of disabled artists. The festival will run in tandem with the Asian Paragames in Jakarta in October, and planned showcases include a range of art forms conducted exclusively by disabled artists. And finally, in comedy this month, Drunk History released its latest episode on Comedy Central, featuring a disabled cast discussing the daring 504 sit-in, which led to the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act in 1990. It's a great episode of an hilarious show and I urge you all to watch it if you want some disability history delivered as light entertainment. And why wouldn't you, after all? As always then, it hasn't been a quiet month in disability news and as I've come to expect, few people have been as active as Shona, who joins me in visibility today to talk about her whirlwind couple of months in activism. Uh, welcome to the very first episode, Shona. How are you? All right, thank you. I'm glad to hear it. So it's been a really busy month for you. Tell us a bit about what's been happening. Yeah, it's everything's fallen on the same time at the moment. Got Marfan Awareness Month, got everything going on about the single-use plastic issue, um, recently got my new power chair. So yeah, it's all happened this month. It's amazing. So it's Marfan Awareness Month this month. Tell us a bit about what you've been doing and tell us a bit about what Marfan is. Yeah, Marfan syndrome is the genetic condition I have and it's a connective tissue disorder which are almost like the glue in your body that holds everything together um, and for awareness I've just been doing what I usually do and just sort of ramp it up a few levels trying to get the word out there as much as possible putting out daily facts across social media about it and working with a few other charities as well. 
So you're an ambassador for Marfan as well, aren't you? Yeah, for the Hypermobility Syndrome Association. So what does that involve? What's your work like for that? So at the Hypermobility Syndrome Association, a lot of um, the sort of hypermobility chat can often be based around EDS, which is a similar condition, but not the same thing. And um, Marfa doesn't often get as much exposure when it comes to the hypermobility side of it. So with them, I'm just sort of flying the flag for people with Marfan syndrome, talking about it, educating people. So how does Marfan affect your life? So on an everyday basis, the biggest thing is probably chronic pain. And I have a cyst in my lower spine and that's why I use a power chair. But there's all sorts of problems that it causes with the eyes, the heart. Um, so I also have joint hypermobility, so my joints are quite loose and chronic fatigue. Oh, it's it's an endless list sometimes because it's genetic. It can affect so many things. When you're talking about Marfan with people, are you trying to raise awareness for more accessibility or more understanding? Or is it a kind of a, a combination of all of them, really? I think one side of it is just general awareness because it is a life-threatening condition. So the more people who know about it, the more people that you can save. But also for me, um, whilst I do have the heart side of it, for me, it's been the skeletal problems, the nerve problems that have been the most life-limiting and sort of affecting me on a daily basis. So, so for me, I've been trying to raise awareness of that side of it because even within sort of the medical community and doctors, you know, I still have people tell me that Marfan doesn't cause chronic pain. So educating people you know within the medical community and general public has its important part in it and with your spinal cyst you've been crowdfunding for a power chair and you've just got it and the photos look great so why did you come to the point where you had to crowdfund for your power chair so um the first time I needed a power chair, I was using a manual wheelchair that was pushed by family and I had to crown fund for that as well because there's this rule within some NHS wheelchair services where if you can walk inside your house despite how painfully, despite what mobility aids you use apart from a wheelchair, then they don't tend to give you help with powered mobility. So you likely get a manual wheelchair and that was offered, but it was of no help to me at all. So I had to fundraise for my first power chair, but through just a decline in my health and a lack of knowledge about what would suit my body, I was left about a year, 18 months later, needing to fundraise again for a new one to fit my needs better. You worked with, um, I think Brie over in the States did some funding for you as well with the Accessibility Matters shirts and things. Did you feel like the dis- disability community came out in support at that point? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I mean, I couldn't fault the community and we see it happen time and time again. It's disabled people helping disabled people. And, you know, there was a big chunk of running money raised through that, nearly £1,000. So it, it took off a huge chunk and a lot of the donations that were coming in apart from that were from fellow disabled people as well. And yeah, I felt really supported. Like you say, it is. it happens again and again that the disability community comes out to help other disabled people. What would you like to see change in wheelchair services so that doesn't need to happen in future? So I think there's a lot of issue with wheelchair services. Another problem that I found as well through going through the process and hearing from people who did get help from them is what they offer is very limited and they have their sort of few companies that they work with. 
um, and then it's it's a one size fits all um, sort of ideology from their side. So I think we need to sort that out first of all and have more options that better fit people for longer because like I've proven, having a power chair that doesn't fit your needs, within a year or two you're going to need a new one which is going to cost more you know, than what they see as saving options. Um, but then also we just need to look at disability better I think whilst it's not intentional within the NHS there is still this idea that well if you're not paralyzed if you don't have a spinal cord injury then you don't really need a wheelchair or you know you're more able to go without one than others and I think we just need to be taking a step back and um, adjusting things to fit you know this new wave of people who have multi-cystic conditions who you know are deteriorating and not having the right support there because they don't fit all the nice little boxes absolutely so with your power chair now that you've got it um what features that you have now that you didn't before really uh making a difference to you so the big thing for me is tilt in space and recline because then that enables me to relieve the pressure on my back uh, which relieves my pain because beforehand the only thing that really relieved my chronic pain was laying down so I was limited on how long I was spending at the house how far away I could go and you know which is a big impact on your life but also there's one feature which is a rise feature so you when you're in your power chair you can rise up mine goes up about 10 inches and NHS flat out do not fund that when it gives people so much independence and socially the benefits are enormous as well so yeah that's another thing where the NHS sort of draws lines for cost saving and it's understandable but I think not everyone is being given the chance to be as independent as possible. So when we're talking about not a one-size-fits-all approach to wheelchairs it's it seems to be the same with not a one-size-fits-all approach to disability so now that you've got your power chair you're more able to be independent and you're more able to do things and live your life how you want to so what things have you been able to do now that you weren't able to do before i mean there's there's little things and there's big things so small things like being able to go and spend time with my family and you know my town center you know things like that where before i was governed by my pain and it was well now my pain's got too much I've got to go home and now I've got a bit of control back and it's well I'll go home when I'm done with what I need to do rather than having a roadblock put in the way and be like well you have to go home now regardless of whether you're finished what you're doing um but then big things as well like I wanted to take my mum to go and see Les Miserables in London for years and finally I was able to do it. See that's amazing and the other day as well you got to off the cuff go down and speak on channel five about the work you're doing so tell me a little bit about that how did that come about and uh, how did you get invited yeah that was just a a message on twitter and when i first opened it i couldn't quite believe it i had to go through and check that they were all legit because i i I couldn't quite believe it and that's another thing that i would have had to turn down if i didn't have my new power chair and um yeah, I was invited on there to speak about the straws debate, the plastic straws debate, which seems to be gaining a lot of momentum at the moment and a big movement to ban them, which I'm sure we can all agree that, you know, in some ways it's unnecessary plastic, but we seem to be removing so many options without putting in alternatives for disabled people. So that's what I was there to talk about. Absolutely. And you were also on Channel 4 a little while ago talking about packaging and plastic packaging on pre-cut vegetables and things like that 
um, which seems to be another side that the environmental lobby is missing out the the kind of packaging they're going after it seems specifically to be the kind that disabled people actually need to live their lives so what would you say to these people who want to ban this packaging because we I think we all agree that we need better packaging alternatives and we do need less plastic but do you think there are other things they should be focusing on before yeah I think I was explaining it to someone the other day um, and sort of drawing comparison to the the coffee cup thing and how so many of us you know buy a coffee and whilst we are encouraged to bring our own coffee cup it's not being forced on us you know we all know that we really should be using reusables but it's not being forced on us and yet when it comes to the things that disabled people benefit from people seem very quick to just pull it away no alternatives you know the straws the pre-cut food you know whereas there are bigger issues that the general public are having a lot more time to consider whether they should help or not whereas for us it's like we're well, a minority so we're going to take it away you can do without it um and the whole way through all of the talks all of the media stuff i've just kept on saying all we need to do is include disabled people in the conversation and we will flag up all of these problems that are coming after you've already changed everything because you know to some people a bag of diced onion is useless and unnecessary but to someone else it's a lifeline so do you think this is part of a uh, wider problem in not having disabled people included in conversations like this yeah i think there's a big sort of general underlying sense of ableism within these sort of environmentalist groups and i've been working with a few recently to try and almost create like guides to how not to be ableist in their discussions because it, it really is going back down to basics with some of these groups and establishments you know they really do have no idea uh, how many people they've been leaving out in the process of what they're doing and whilst it is change for good and it's change that we will all encourage I think it just needs guiding from the people that it will affect most. Uh, how how have they responded to uh, your advice and your work with them? Have people been receptive? Yeah, so far, I think I've been surprised in some ways that, especially when the Channel 4 video came out, that I didn't get quite as much hate as I first expected. <laughs> I think that's an occupational hazard of internet work as well, isn't it? So I was talking a little bit before about how um, there's a problem with benefits for disabled people in the UK at the moment, in the a new study has found that more than a million benefit sanctions have been imposed on disabled people since 2010. And the reason being given is that people don't understand disability. People who are in the job centre um, are too quick to sanction without giving appropriate access to the process. Is this something you hear about or that you've ever experienced? In terms of sort of personal experience, I've not experienced being sanctioned myself. Um, I was put on ESA about three or four years ago, and I don't know whether something went wrong, but they've not contacted me since. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for the day that the brown letter comes through the door, and that's sort of a general fear of anxiety that most of us have. And this news about the sanctions, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me because we've been saying that this kind of thing has been going on for a while, and sort of the media seems to be about five years behind what we've been saying. And I think that's the case a lot with society in general as well. I think if you go on Twitter and you look in these communities, you will find a lot of people flagging up issues well before the mainstream media picks up on them. 
so I think most recently it's benefits and then of course we've got uh, disabled people against cuts and crip the vote which has been brilliant over in america and the uk yeah. um if you could change anything about the political climate at the moment not including donald trump because i think we can all agree that we all want to change him yes. um if you <laughs> if you could change one other thing about the political climate for disabled people at the moment what would it be i think the obvious one is to get rid of the conservatives um, but I think some of the problems run a lot deeper than that. And as some people have flagged up, you know, other parties aren't blame free when it comes to some of the problems. Um, it's difficult to say what's the one cure or the one solution. I know that PIP was introduced as this big overhaul of DLA, DLA but I think we need it again. I think we just need a huge overhaul of the whole social security system that involves disabled people and marginalised people at the root of those changes. Absolutely, and I think most people would agree with you in that. Um, Maybe not in the media yet, but give it five years, and like we say, they'll probably be up to speed. (laughs) More personally, which activists um, have really helped you and which do you most admire in the disability community? Um, Right now, I think after the last series of Silent Witness, bringing up Liz Carr again to the forefront and, you know, her her work as an actress, but also as an activist, I, you know, I really look up to her and admire her. And I think it's so difficult, in my opinion anyway, to find an activist that I can truly 100% relate to because we are all at different points in our journey, especially disabled people in terms of sort of unlearning ingrained ableism and things like that we are all at such different points so to be able to look at someone and sort of see so much good and so much good work um is something that i love and yeah she at the moment is one of those main people that i really do respect and but i think mostly it's people online right now you know people who are just tirelessly working online to make changes when everyone around them saying that doing it online is not good enough yeah that comes from uh what do they call it? Slacktivism. Yeah, those sorts of terms. Yeah, but I think actually, I mean, I suppose I'd only have considered myself disabled in the last two, three years or so. And it was so liberating to find this whole community online who understood what I was going through and would give me advice when, yes. you know, you are kind of stuck in your house and wondering what's going on. And I don't think you can really underestimate the impact of online activism for a community building. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, whilst obviously, you know, with the media stuff and, you know, it's not all being from my bedroom, you know, I've never gone on a big sort of campaign or something that's taken me away from the base of doing it all online. And I think if we just look at what everyone is doing online, you see that it's it's making a huge difference because... There's a lot that can be done from your bed. <laughs> I I would have to agree being on my bed right now. <laughs> um, so going back to uh, what we were talking about, the misconceptions in the media and things, what is the biggest misconception about disability you want to clear up? Oh, the biggest. That's tough. There's so many and uh, they all come to the forefront every now and then. But um, I think... It's just this idea that people have that disability is one thing, you know, it, it looks one way, it acts one way, you know, it has one 
um, manifestation, you know, and whilst we are seeing more done about mental health and seeing more of these sort of sides coming off of it, I think we're still very uh, sort of tunnel visioned in what we think of as disability. You know, we're seeing the rise of again of notes on cars of people saying you're not disabled, don't park in those spaces when there are blue badges on display. Um, and yeah, I think we're just I think we're going backwards in that sense that everyone is doubting everyone, you know, everyone's the disability police and, you know, a lot of us going around sort of on guard all the time because we're worried about who's going to report us, quite honestly. I've, many wheelchair users and power chair users do have spinal cord injuries, but many of us don't. And And then when people just have this preconception that that's what disability looks like then you get people like me who are scared to move their legs when they leave the house because people think well if you move your legs then you're faking and it's like yeah obviously I've just gone out and got a £10,000 power chair to fake all of this and everything that I go through and yeah I think it's just that idea that disability looks one way when there is a million different ways. It's what we keep coming back to putting disabled people into the media and letting letting disabled people tell their stories which doesn't happen very often unfortunately many people say you can't represent everyone was like well if you're representing a person then that person exists so why not you know all we need to do is put us in the media and people say what's happening and it's like it's happening too slowly for my liking you know when you tell people that one in five people are disabled they're shocked and well then you say well there you go then why are we only seeing one in 200 people on the media who are disabled? So, you know, I think that people just need to open their eyes and open their minds to learning more and maybe putting their hands up saying they were wrong and just learning from the people who know it best. Absolutely. Um, finally, what's next for you? What do you want to, what do you want to do from now? Um, more of what I've been doing recently, really. I think from last year, I really decided that this sort of thing, you know, as terrifying as it is going on the Channel 5 News, I think that's more of what I want to do. And you're doing loads of good for it as well. I mean, obviously, like you say, you're working with environmental lobbies and you are raising awareness and it is incredible. And it's amazing that you are now able to do so much from a power chair that originally wasn't funded by the people that should have been funding it. Yeah, people talk about the the social model of the disability a lot, and I think that my situation recently really goes to show that people go, well, it's your chronic pain that was holding you back, and I was like, no, it's not, because I got this power chair, and now suddenly there are so many doors open to me. You can follow Shona on Twitter at at Shona Louise blog and read her blog at www.shonalouise.com where you'll find loads more articles and information about Marfan syndrome and disability rights as well as a great collection of lifestyle and beauty posts. For now, we've reached the end of the first Invisibility podcast and I'd like to finish with a little bit of practical information. HR 620 still needs to pass through the Senate in the US to become law, so if you care about the rights of disabled people, and you should because disabled rights are human rights, you can call your senators to ask them to oppose the bill. I'll post all of these details and more on the Invisibility Twitter later today. If there's a disability topic, activist, creator or news story you'd like to see featured here next month, you can contact me on Twitter at at visibilitytoday or email visibilitytoday at gmail.com. 
For now, thanks for listening and I'll see you in March for another look at what's in visibility then.